Hi there, David here. This month is a pretty special one on Oh My God, What the Fuck Bible. We've left the comfortable confines of our beauty bar location in New York City, and the recording you're about to hear was made at Limud UK at the University of Warwick in England. Limud is an international organization that organizes Jewish conferences all over the world where Jews get together, present new ideas, and of course, argue with each other. Limud UK is the flagship conference and features thousands of presenters, hundreds of sessions, and this year, oh my god, what the fuck Bible. Enjoy. Previously in the Bible. All the water in the river turned to blood. Festering, pus dripping, bloody boil. Flowering forth <laughs> on man and animals. A gloomy darkness enveloped all of Mitzrayim for three days. Oh man. Hashem struck all of Mitzrayim's firstborns in the middle of the night. In the middle of that day, Hashem took the sons of Israel out of Mitzrayim in their legion. The sons of Israel rose out of Egypt in battle array. I'll strengthen Paro's heart and he'll chase after them. Hashem drowned Mitzrayim in the sea. For thousands of years, we've been under the impression the Bible was meant to be taken seriously. Finally, a new translation that'll change all that. This is Oh My God, What the Fuck Bible! Yeah! Welcome to episode 27 and one-third of Oh My God, What the Fuck Bible with me, David Tuckman. I'm coming to you in front of a live audience at Limud Luque. Give it up for yourselves! I said Limud UK, that's right! Look at this crowd! Each month on the show, a guest joins me and tries to read as many chapters as possible of my own personal translation of the Old Testament from the original Hebrew while I make fun of it. And tonight we're reading the fifth portion of Exodus, known in Hebrew as Yitro and in English as uh, Yitro. Today is Sunday, December 28th, I think. Um, I took a red eye into Limud last night. Um, I recall getting on a plane at JFK at about 9 p.m. last night, and then everything since then has been kind of a blur. So I have not had much sleep right now. The goal is just to do this episode, and then I will probably pass out. If I don't make it, if you hear like a thump, like me landing on the table, or something like that, that means I didn't make it, so be prepared for that. I think we're going to do it. I have a great guest. There's a great crowd. There's a lot of great energy in the room tonight, so we're going to get right into our show. Um, and tomorrow night, I might have a little bit more energy. We'll see. We'll see how long the passing out goes. The next show, I usually announce the next show on the show. Well, the next show is tomorrow here with Rabbi Leah Jordan at 9.30 p.m. in this very room, so that's going to be awesome. Uh, thank you. The next New York show is going to be January 26th at Beauty Bar on 14th Street between 2nd and 3rd at 7.30 p.m. with I don't know yet. We're still trying to figure that out. As always, I want to thank Juicy for being the online partner of the show uh, and posting every episode when it goes live. This episode went up uh, January 8th. If you're listening to the podcast, the next one's going to go up next Thursday and then the Thursday after and then probably the Thursday after. We just took a break for the holidays. I also want to thank Present Tense. I was a Present Tense fellow for 2014, and uh, they've been helping me a great deal with this show, so let's give it up for Present Tense. Anyway, are you guys ready for your guest? Yeah. yeah. Please welcome to the stage, uh, he's been very nice and quiet, the chair of the mood, Kevin Sefton. How are you doing tonight? Hi, David. It's fantastic to have you here, along with all the other presenters this week. Thank you so much. Um, I wanted to talk to you about you to give our audience here and listening online just an idea of who you are uh, and what Limud is about. Um, I was going to talk a little bit about Limud earlier on, but I think you probably do a better uh, job of it than I would. Um, so first of all, what does the chair of Limud do? <laughs> so first of all, I think it's worth just 
explaining to those people who don't know what LUMAD is, it's a wonderful international festival which is taking place in England in the University of Warwick at the end of December. We've been running this festival now for 34 years. There are 2,500 people from all around the world. And it's now in 91 different cities and centers wow. and communities on Earth. And the most amazing thing is everyone who puts it together is a volunteer. So I think the people who can best explain it are other volunteers. And I'd like to thank publicly everybody who's put this event together and the participants who've come who've made it great. Now, thank you. Uh, there have been some really amazing volunteers who have helped. I mean, I, I, have, I have to admit, um, I'm kind of ashamed I haven't yet been to one of the amazing sessions here. That's not true. I went to half of one just before. All the volunteers I've been working with have kind of pulled it through at the last minute to get the recording up and get us going. So thank you so much. You guys have been so awesome. Um, but what do you do as the chair? That's the real so, question. <laughs> so, so my role, if we imagine Lumode is a grassroots organization that happens all the way around the world. My role is to make sure that those teams that have the grassroots passion have the tools, the patch of land and everything else in order to put an event on. So I take responsibility for fundraising, for ensuring that the board and executive have the boring things which lie behind the scenes but are incredibly important. The databases, the systems, the inspiration, the knowledge that comes from 34 years of this. So at this event, we have around about 11 or 1,200 different sessions from everything from music to art, literature, to Nach, history, politics, and, and many other is. things. And sorry? And whatever this is. And whatever this is, and I'm quite sure what this is. And it's that diversity which makes Lumad strong. My role as the experienced volunteer, I guess, um, chairing the board is to make sure that it all happens and that the team that puts this on is able to do so successfully. So it's a long-term view, um, really effectively, of what Lumad is. Cool. And I I'm very honored to be a part of it and to be uh, having you read the first bit of our Lumad podcast. Here. I'm looking forward to it. I don't know if I can get it quite as fast as some of the other presenters we just heard from last week, but we'll see what we can do. <laughs> well, we'll see. Um, but you mentioned you're the volunteer. As the chair, you're a volunteer. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. So you, what do you do when you're not volunteering to make these amazing <laughs> conventions happen or conferences? Well, Lamud does take up a lot of my time, but um, in my spare time, I, I do work. And my job is really sort of as a management consultant, but I have on the side a fashion brand. And last year, we set up a, a new shoe brand called Govan, mm -hmm. um, available in all good shoe stores and online, G-O-V-A-N. <laughs> um, which um, is inspired by the tales of one of the knights of the round table. Um, and I am effectively the uh, founder and um, creative director of this footwear brand called Govan. That's just so English. I come to England and it's immediately shoes based on a knight of the round table. That's really awesome. But I think you're wearing some of the shoes right now. Is that... I, I, I happen to be wearing a pair of the shoes now. Um, so we... <laughs> so if you're here, you can check so. them out. <laughs> Um, maybe there'll be a special limit discount or a special... Uh... Are they going to be available in the bookstore? That's the <laughs> boot store. The boot I like store. that. <laughs> so, um, I mean, I'm, I'm here very much on a, in a Lamud role rather than a footwear role, okay. but um, anyone who's interested, um, please see me afterwards. I also, I also wore some very nice shoes tonight because I wanted to, to see whose shoes are better. So <laughs> let's just put our shoes up uh, for the audience to admire. Oh, goodness. I... This is great radio. <laughs> I think I'm going to take a shul fee. <laughs> post this on Instagram right now. Just so our listeners can see. That's, that's awesome. I really love those shoes. I hope, I, I don't know if I'm going to have time to buy one. But do you guys, do you guys ship online? 
We certainly ship online. Okay, so I can get one from the United States. Well, let's talk a little bit because what this show is, um, ostensibly, is reading the Bible. Um, so let's talk a little bit about uh, your faith. Uh, assumably, you are Jewish. I don't know why I picked up your name tag. You are, you are Jewish, is that correct? That is correct. Okay. Um, how, how do you identify, if you'd like to talk about that, or how did you grow up? How were you raised? So... I think you've asked a number of questions there. In terms of how I identify, I think I very much identify through what Lamud has given me, mm -hmm. um, which is a Judaism which is very personal to me, where I'm able to appreciate the cross-communal nature of um, Judaism as a whole, and to pick and explore different aspects. I've always enjoyed the history, the heritage, the culture, and I would describe myself, and I hope my rabbi isn't listening, <laughs> um, I often describe myself as a practice, more practicing than believing in terms of my Judaism. Hmm. And I go to shul and I enjoy it because of the community and what I get there. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that many people have found that through this event and, and other Lumad experiences, that their, their attitude and approach to Judaism is enhanced. I grew up in a very traditional um, sort of, uh, we call it a united synagogue community in this country. In, mm -hmm in Ricelip. Anyone here still alive from Ricelip? <laughs> okay, so... Um, <laughs> someone's maybe half alive still in Ricelip. Um, it's, a, it's a small community which was actually um, very much made up of people who'd been based in the area during the war. Mm -hmm. So um, that formed the cornerstone of the community. And we were sort of among the younger uh, members. And indeed, my parents, my dad's now 80, I think they're still among the younger members of the community there. <laughs> Wow. Speaking of young people over 80, we're going to get to that in a little bit. Um, but so first of all, I want to say that Limud is such an incredible uh, kind of communal space. Uh, when I started this project, I never imagined that it would be a Jewish project. In my mind, it was always uh, just a kind of secular thing. And it, it's amazing to me how it turned and morphed into a Jewish project. And then I'm right now at a Jewish conference presenting it to a room of Jews. So that boggles my mind. And I'm amazed and thankful that uh, people like you have created a space like this and have made it continue going, so thank you. Um, but I also wanted to ask you about the book that we're about to read. So have you ever read the entire Tanakh, let's say? Is my rabbi listening? <laughs> uh, no, we'll make no, sure he doesn't. <laughs> no, no, I've not managed to read the whole Tanakh. Okay, um, but is there a story that, that stands out to you as your favorite or a story that you connect to most or even a character that you connect to? Yeah, so if there's one character, it's a gentleman called Nachshon ben, I, I will mispronounce his surname, uh, his father's name even, Nachshon ben Aminadav. Aminadav, Aminadav, I should have practiced that. So <laughs> Nachshon ben Aminadav, and he was the person who, when the children of Israel arrived at the, the Red Sea, and they saw that the sea was there blocking their path, mm -hmm. he was the one who stepped forward and really sort of, was the one who was prepared to enter the waters until he was submerged. And it's after he'd done that, that actually God parted the waves and everyone else was prepared to follow. And I guess I sort of take that, that sometimes you do have to step all the way forward. And when it looks like you're drowning, then sometimes the path opens up and you're able to see clear land ahead of you. But you do need to sort of take those risks. And I sort of follow that. I like that. That's nice. It's too bad that we didn't read Bashal. That was last month's episode, I guess. But if we're following the schedule. You get what you get. The, uh, speaking of which, are you guys ready to read the Bible? Yeah. yeah. 
All right, are you ready, Kevin? I'm ready. Okay, so this is what I call Torah, a loose translation, book two, names, part five, Yitro, chapter 42, in which Yitro makes a cameo, and if you're following along in the normal, uh, everyday, non-alternative chapters, it's Exodus 18.1 to 18.12. Yitro, priest of Midian and Moshe's groom, groom, that means servant, Group, no, uh, the, word, the Hebrew is, uh, well, it's chotain, but I try to avoid vowels because I don't believe in them. So I translate chet taf nun as, as groom everywhere I see it. It's kind of a familial kin's relationship. It's the father of Moshe's woman. Okay. Or wife, I guess, if you want to translate Isha as wife. <laughs> so, so, so Yitro heard all about what God did for the Israel crew when he took them out of Mitzrayim. All that uh, sea splitting and plague stuff. Yitro, Moshe's groom, I think we might hear that a little bit, uh-huh. <laughs> took Zipporah, Moshe's woman, after she'd been sent away. She had been sent away, something the Torah forgot to tell us about. He also took her two sons. <laughs> right, Moshe had two sons. The first was named Gershom, because Moshe said, I was a stranger in a strange land. So Ger means stranger, and Shom, I guess, is Sham. Let's, let's go with that. Okay, there. Okay, the there. other one was named Eliezer, because... The God of my father helped me and saved me from Pharaoh's sword. So, uh, Eli, Ezer, Eli means my God, my El, uh, and Ezer means save. Not a joke, just informational. Yitro, if we've forgotten, it's Moshe's groom. Moshe's groom. Came to the desert with Moshe's son and woman. Yes, we know. Moshe was camped around the mountain of God. Which, you know, if some place is called the mountain of God, you know some shit's about to go down. I am Yitro, your groom. Yitro, Moshe's groom, said to Moshe. Oh, you know, the Torah is sometimes redundant. I don't know if you noticed that. I've come with your woman and her two sons. Okay, so when Yitro says it, it's her sons, not Moshe's, huh? Mm. Mm. Moshe came out to greet Yitro. He bowed to and kissed him. So that sentence, he bowed to and kissed him, is very confusing because it's just a bunch of pronouns. Um, I took a look at some of the commentaries, and the rabbis agree. It's very confusing. <laughs> the men asked each other to peace and went into the tent. Moshe told his groom everything God did to Pharaoh and Mitzrayim for the sake of Israel. All the travails they'd faced on the way and how God had saved them. Oh, thank God. Sometimes the Torah, uh, when a character tells another character what has happened in the recent past, decides to repeat all of that information. Take... Uh, when Abraham sends a slave to find a woman for his son, or when uh, Yaakov's sons come back from Egypt. Thank God, in this piece, it just skipped all of that. Yitro quelled over everything God did for Israel while saving them from Mitzrayim's hand. It says quelled? Quelled, yes. The Hebrew is vayichar. I translate it as quelled. It's usually translated as uh, Yitro rejoice, but I liked adding Yiddish into uh, my translation. According to the Midrash, it means that Yitro uh, got goosebumps, grieving ever so slightly over Yehovah. Um, I know you're calling him God, but I, I translate the Tetramagon as Yehovah because those are little letters. Um, so he's grieving ever so slightly over Yehovah's nearly total destruction of an entire country, which wasn't the greatest thing in the world, suggesting that maybe, maybe we should have a little bit of empathy for our enemies. May God be blessed, Yitro said. He saved you from Mitzrayim and from Pharaoh's hand. He saved the nation from under Mitzrayim's hand. Mm -hmm. Now I know God is greater than all the other gods. 
They were scheming against him all along. Ooh, it kind of sounds like Yitro's a polytheist. Interesting. Yitro, Moshe's groom, took an Ola to God. Uh, so in case you haven't, if you haven't been following, an Ola is an offering in which the entire thing is burnt up and goes to God. And he took other offerings too. <laughs> I guess those weren't as important. Aharon and all of Israel's elders came to eat bread. So if you remember last month, there was that whole thing with the man and the uh, quails. It's not clear where the bread came from. With Moshe's groom before God. So that is chapter 42. Yeah. We got time for one more. Um, unfortunately, Yitro is a bit of a, a shorter Parsha. That's just the way the schedule landed out. So uh, we got one more chapter for you guys tonight. This is chapter 43, in which Yitro gives Moshe a quick lesson in delegating, Exodus 18.13 to 18.27. The next day, Moshe sat to judge the nation. They stood in front of him all freaking day. Mm -hmm. Accurate translation. Moshe's groom saw what Moshe was doing for the people. Wait, Moshe's groom, who is that? I'm not sure. <laughs> I think it's Yitro. Yitro. Yes. Moshe's groom saw what Moshe was doing for the people. What are you doing to these people, he said. Why are you sitting alone while the whole nation spends all day waiting? Anyone here in Cryfield? <laughs> I apologize to anyone in Cryfield who might be able to relate to the people waiting oh, here. God. Spending all day waiting really reminds me of the customs line this morning. Let me tell you. Oh, boy. Anyway, so they're coming to chat about God with me, Moshe said. <laughs> When they have an issue, they come to me. It's like the help desk. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they make printouts of my scripts. For me. <laughs> so, so. Um, when they have an issue, they come to me. I judge for them and make the decrees and teaching of God known. So this doesn't make any sense because it's later in this reading uh, that the decrees and teachings of God are given to the Jews. Uh, Sometimes the Torah doesn't get chronology quite right. The rabbis have kind of a go-to thing uh, that they say about this, uh, that there is no um, first and last in the Torah, um, which is like if Marvel and DC had that, they'd just be overjoyed. This is not good. You're all going to burn the F out. <laughs> Hang on. You're all going to burn out. This thing is bigger than you. Oh my God, who is this guy, Yoda? Alone you cannot do it. <laughs> to me, listen. Oh. Advise you, I will. <laughs> May the gods be with you. Oh. Advise you, I will. So, what's interesting to me right now, and this just makes me think, at this point, so one of the things that I did last time around was we decided that because... Um, in light of the movie Exodus and the uh, controversy around the casting of Christian Bale as Moses, I realized that um, the character of Moses or Moshe is actually 80 years old when he takes the Jews out of Israel. So the fact that they didn't cast an 80-year-old Jew as Moses is a big deal for me. My ideal casting for Moses is either Woody Allen or Elliot Gould. <laughs> so Yitro is probably like, if he's older than Moses, like 120 years old. So when 120 years you reach, <laughs> judge as well you or not. Oh, dear. <laughs> you know, they were talking about Miss Piggy and Hans Gruber and Kermit the Frog in the session before this, and you don't want me to break out those. <laughs> so back, back to the story. Anyway, back to the Bible. Yeah. Um, so Yitro says, 
You will replace God for the nation and bring all their stuff to God. Mm -hmm. You'll warn them of the decrees and the teaching. You'll help them see the path they should travel and the things they should do. Take men of virtue who fear God, true men who hate dirty money from the entire people and make them leaders of thousands, then hundreds, then fifties, then tens. Behold the very first Limud chair. <laughs> They'll spend their time judging small issues for the people and bring the big matters to you. It will make things easier for you. They can travel with you. I guess that's also the first entourage. If you do this thing and God will command you, you and the nation will be able to keep standing. Because they'd be exhausted otherwise. And reach the place in peace. The place. I guess here Israel is just the place. Moshe listened to his groom, Yitro, mm -hmm. and did everything he said. Making him the best son-in-law in the history of the world. He chose men of virtue from all of Israel and made them heads over the nation. They were leaders of thousands. So I'm cribbing from Rashi uh, here, but thousands means that there are 600 at the top of the 600,000 men that were counted in the recent sentence. Women are encountered for whatever reason. Hundreds. 6,000 of those. Fifties. 12,000 of those. And tens. 60,000 of those. They judged the nation at all hours, taking care of simple things, but bringing every difficult issue to Moshe. So the judicial system that was just set up includes 78,600 judges, which is pretty much uh, a football stadium size. Sorry, an American football stadium size. I don't know what size football stadiums are. So they created machas. Yes, they created machars. The people who get it, they created bureaucracy. Moshe sent his groom back to the country. So we're done with the Yitro character, and we're done with chapter 43. Thank you, Kevin. Oh boy, you know, it's funny how Yitro just comes and goes in these two uh, sections, or this really this one chapter. It's almost as if people remembered that he existed and decided to jam him in, but who knows? Anyway, now is the part of the show where we get to our Devar Torah. Now, if you take the words literally, as I like to do, Devar Torah means Torah word. So now is the point where I ask my guest, and I will do the same thing, to try to sum up everything that we've read into a single word. So, Kevin, what is your Devar Torah? One word. One word. Macha. <laughs> so, what is a macha? Well, macha comes from the Yiddish word maker, mm -hmm. and it's short for troublemaker. <laughs> and machas are the leaders of our communities. They get to sit in rooms and worry about everybody else. <laughs> and I think that they are one of the things that this Jewish community actually is powered by. They do a huge amount of good. Mm -hmm. But I also can see the origin in this little parsha, this little extract that we're reading now, Just of when the machars were first and created. Layers of machars, 78,000 machars. Imagine an army of them <laughs> in the desert. What's your word? My word, I guess, is family. Because um, sometimes your family just makes a demand of you, and you go along with it, apparently. Um, not the most insightful word. I, I, you know, that's what happens when you come up with a Devar Torah on not enough sleep, I guess. <laughs> but also, as you describe Machar, I kind, of, um, I, I kind of wanted to grab onto that one, too, because not only did Yitro create this uh, hierarchy of Machars, but he seems like he's the first hawker, uh, or the first Machar, the first person who comes in and just kind of hawks at Moses and tells him what to do and gives him advice. He's like the first management consultant. In a way. <laughs> it, it really feels like Moshe has been sort of cut down to size, though, that at the start of the story, he's in charge of the whole thing. Yeah. And then by the end of it, he's got 78,500 bureaucrats who are actually um, the civil service who are going to be 
exactly. either listening to him or probably actually fighting against him afterwards. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're, we're, I, I'm in England right now, so uh, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs uh, last year was all about leadership. So I guess this story, too, if, if we're just taking the pieces that we read today, is kind of about leadership because Moses or Moshe takes on an enormous burden all by himself from the beginning of the story. From the moment he sees the bush, even though he shrinks from it, it's all about him basically taking on the future of this people, carrying it on his back, being their representative to Pharaoh, uh, or to Paro, you know, being the one who, along with Aaron, uh, performs every single plague, being the one who splits the sea. But when it comes down to kind of, uh, it's one thing to be that, in a way, messianic or heroic leader as you're leading a people and, and leading a revolution and re- leading a big change. But when it, comes, when it comes to governing or managing a society, you kind of have to start delegating and know where your limits are and putting things out. And that's, it, it's almost as though Moshe needs another perspective, the perspective of his father-in-law, who he's going to listen to and is like 300 years old, to tell him what to do and to get him on the right track so that Granted, things don't go so well uh, throughout the desert, but to get him in a place where he can actually manage and the entirety of his life isn't just telling people what to do. Why, why do you think it keeps saying that he's Moshe's groom? Um, that's a really good question. Um, I think part of it is because the Bible repeats itself. <laughs> um, I've noticed this a lot. I mean, I, I don't know if I could give you a literary answer or a serious answer. I've noticed a lot that there are a lot of places where... Um, the character of a person or a person's uh, role is repeated every time they come up. So um, I'm thinking like Yitzchak is referred to as Abraham's son over and over and over again. Um, maybe it's because at some point this, these stories were transmitted orally um, and people didn't have it in front of them and didn't have like a list and weren't able to hold all the characters in their minds. Or maybe it's to remind us that this, isn't, this is the same person as Reuel, Moshe's original groom, whose name was suddenly changed to Yitro, to make sure that we know that it's the same person. But, well, maybe he had two different groomsmen. Maybe he had two, maybe Moshe had two different, maybe Moshe had a secret family. With the same name. Exactly. It's Quite easier possible. to keep track of the kids if you give them all the same name. <laughs> And, and, and there's some spoilers in this as well, are there? Yes, there are some spoilers. The fact that the law is coming. Um, the fact that they're going to go to the land eventually, I suppose. Um, so don't tell anybody when you get out of this room. Exactly. Don't tell anybody that uh, some law is going to be given to the Jewish people sometime soon. That's a big spoiler we want to keep under wraps. Um, I, do you have any other final thoughts about what we just read? I think we're, we're, we're hitting the end of the recording, so... Well, the, the, the thing that I always learned about Yitro is that he was somebody who wasn't Jewish, who, um, whose Pasha actually features the Ten Commandments. Yes. And I think that it's really interesting that the poor guy um, arrives at the start and then disappears <laughs> off into the uh, desert just before um, the sort of the big denouement of the Pasha. Right. Well, that's in one way of reading it. That's in the way where we read it chronologically, where everything that happens in it happens as we read it. But if you read it in the rabbinical way, where this happens on Yom Kippur after uh, Moshe got the tablets, saw the golden calf, threw them down, went up again, waited another four... I'm, I'm giving away way too much. But if you read it that way, Yitro actually gets to hang out and see the entire thing go down. So, good for him. But it, it is a little funny that... Or the way the naming convention works, and it's, it's somewhat arbitrary, but that um, Yitro gets his own parsha, but only appears for a very, very short... Or one-third of it, really. So, thank you.
poor guy. Um, anyway, we're going to uh, stick around after we stop the recording because I want to hear your Divrei Torah. If anybody here has a Devar Torah, one Torah word they want to share with us, uh, with Kevin and me, or just with me, if Kevin needs to go, um, please stick around and do that. Uh, but we're going to shut it down in just a minute. Is there anything that you want to plug, Kevin, before we close? Well, <laughs> I think for those people who are at Lamud events, we've got a fantastic program. And for those people who are listening who are not at Lamud, just explore the local Lamud community and see what you have there and take part as a volunteer, as a participant, and enjoy what we have to offer. Um, and as always, I want to plug the Facebook. You can find Oh My God, What the Fuck Bible on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, the website, omgwtfbible.com. Please listen on Stitcher, iTunes, any podcast app. Uh, share the show. Please rate and review it on iTunes. Uh, it really, really helps. As always, I want to thank Wendy Chin for making the marketing materials. Limud, let's hear it for Limud, first of all. Abby Jacoby, Shauna Bolton, Amy Levy for helping him out, Shalom the driver who drove me from the airport. Let's hear it for the lady who kicked me in the back all the way from New York. Thank you so much for making the show happen. Let's hear it for Kevin Sefton. Great cast. And give it up for yourselves for coming out. You've been an awesome audience. Um, and please be sure if you're here to come tomorrow, and if you're listening at home, be sure to check us out next week because next time in the Bible... Preparing. <laughs>